Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Had we not had the tension in the way that we had it, the way we kind of went at each other, I think if we would have had that more together, we would have been even more successful because we would have been more focused. When we did focus on something, it was very powerful. He was just a fabulous human being. Heart of gold, funny as hell. He'd give you the shirt off his back. He really would. I mean, he was that kind of guy. So great friend, great person, great musician. you know, I don't even have to comment on his voice. We all know about that. Um, but what a what an amazing human being. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate twice-weekly classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks, as always, for hitting play. Now, last week's big interview with hair metal icon Stephen Piercy, lead singer with the band Rat, was picked up by a lot of music news outlets. I counted 11 different websites carrying stories based on the interview, including a French website and a Spanish one too, so headline-making stuff indeed. Hot on the heels of this, I've got another star who made his name in that scene as well. He was part of Dokken, a group that released three platinum albums with 10 million record sales and a Grammy nomination too. It was a tumultuous group at times, but it doesn't take away from the music that they created. This guest then went on to work with many other bands, including a number of years in Dio, and has been a full-time member of the band Foreigner for the past 17 years as well. I'm talking about bass player Jeff Pilsen. Now, we talked all about the Dokken days, his honest thoughts on what happened with the splits, whether there's a chance of another reunion, his thoughts on the legendary Ronnie James Dio, plus all his new projects as well, of which there are many, with the possibility of new foreign tracks coming as well. It's another great interview with a man who's worked with so many great guests. So please enjoy this interview with bass player, producer, songwriter and more, Jeff Pilsen. I'm delighted to be joined by a bass player extraordinaire in bands like Dokken, War and Peace, Dio, Black Swan, The End Machine and Foreigner. It's an incredible career, which thankfully is far from over, and I'm excited to hear all about it. Welcome to Vintage Rock Pod, Jeff Pilsen. Well, thank you. Good to be here. Now, just looking at your studio, it's very, very nice and lovely looking compared to my little thing here. Well, where are you joining us from? Uh, I'm joining from my studio, which is attached to my home, and I'm in Los Angeles. Now, uh, let's start then, where you first came to prominence in the band Dokken, of course. Now, uh, their original bass player left to join Rat. I mean, how did you join that group? How did that all come about? Uh, well, I was, um, there's, there's a gentleman by the name of Mike Varney, who, especially at the time, was really known for gathering musicians and kind of putting them together. And Mike and I were not only close friends, but we had been in bands together. 
and and I had just moved to Los Angeles and Don Dockin called him up and said, Hey, do you know of any singing bass players? And he knew I had just moved there. So he, he's put my name out there and there you go. Fantastic. And you came, became a key part of that classic lineup. I mean, Don George making yourself three platinum albums, five year period where you really did strike gold. Right. It was the heady days of the eighties, wasn't it? I mean, what was your overriding memories now, looking back at that kind of glam rock, hair metal, hard rock, whatever you want to label it as, the, the era with MTV kind of really exploded? What's your overriding memories of looking back at that now? Uh, my overriding memories are, it was a lot of fun. We definitely had a lot of fun. Um, you know, we, we indulged in everything that one would indulge in in that period. But, you know, there was, there was a lot of f good camaraderie, a lot of fun between everybody. I mean, you know, part of me wishes I would have done things like, oh, acquired equipment back then, because, you know, this would have cost a lot less back then, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But um, but the overriding, overarching theme is that, you know, it was great being in a band. You know, you had that feeling like, you know, we're, we're going to conquer together and, and that kind of thing. And Dokken was never known for a lot of camaraderie with all four of us. But there were moments of it, and the moments were 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 quite wonderful. And you talk about camaraderie within the band and stuff, and the way it was. But uh, what about amongst the the rest of the groups in that kind of scene then in LA during that time? Was there a, a nice kind of feeling between bands, or was there a bit of rivalry going on? How was that? Well, there was some rivalry, but overall, it was it was very very uh, congenial between us all. We were, you know, it was it was it was a fun, supportive thing. I mean. I don't know if it was really as supportive as much as just fun. You know, we, we, we all got together and <laughs> yeah, the inner band friendships were, were all over the place. I mean, you know, and, and some of those friendships have lasted till today. I mean, I'm still close with a lot of those people. So um, yeah, I mean, it was great. And, you know, George and Mick and I had a very deep, intense camaraderie and I had a very deep connection with Don, you know, the band as a group never, you know, we, we only had moments where we really congealed as a full band, which I wish there was more of that. But um, like I said, the ones that were there were great. And then the time that I, you know, the, the camaraderie that George and Mick and I had was very, very solid. And yeah, my friendships with other bands, um, that kind of got us through a lot of the rough periods. And you talk about there just being short periods of the time where the band kind of congealed, as you said there. So what what was it that made the band so successful then? Because that doesn't sound like it's a very good recipe for a, a successful band, if that makes sense. No, and I and I sincerely feel, you know, some people say, well, you know, that tension is what made you successful. No, I believe that had we not had the tension in the way that we had it, not saying not, not at all, but in the way that we expressed it and that the way we kind of went, went at each other, I think if we would have had that more together, we would have been even more successful because we would have been more focused. And um, when we did focus on something, it was very powerful. Um, so why were we successful? Well, you know, the, the old saying goes, we were somewhat su successful in spite of ourselves. Um, but uh, I think it was the quality of the music that really at the end of the day is what dictated it. And it's because we were if there was an area that we focused in together on, it was on the music and we were very conscientious about the music and sure there was, you know, disagreements and whatnot, but, um, but overall, I think what we came up with was a very powerful, unique sound to that style. 
And, um, you know, we wanted to make the best music we possibly could. And, and I think our dedication to that collectively is why we were successful. I just think we would have been more successful had we been more focused. And you talk about a unique sound there. I mean, it was. I mean, you did play the heavy stuff, the harder stuff. But you, you were more melodic, weren't you, than some of the other bands around at the time? Uh, yes, we were, we were more melodic. I, I mean, I think that was part of what we brought to it. Um, you know, I mean, all of us had a real melodic sense. And, you know, certainly Don's voice wasn't the typical metal voice. He had a very melodic sense about things. I'm very much into melody. Um, actually, everybody was, you know, um, it was it was important to us. We knew that a great song takes a great melody. And, you know, you, you that has to be the first consideration. Absolutely, and platinum albums galore followed from that. Now, the band split, didn't it, after the Monsters of Rock tour, kind of around 88, I think it was. Now, you talked about the, the difficulties within the, the group there with the members and everything like that. How did you feel at the time when the decision was made to call it a day? Uh, I felt it was the wrong thing to do, and I vocal, voiced my opinion at the, at the time. Um, it was really, you know, it was Don leaving is what, what, what happened, and... You know, I had uh, I had a problem with that. I didn't think it was the right thing to do. I mean, I understood why. I mean, I, I got his frustrations. I also think there was ambition in there on his point that um, that I thought was was not going to serve him well. Um, but uh, I was I was a bit distraught. I mean, you know, I was also partly relieved, though, I got to say, because the tension was heavy. Mm-hmm. That was that was five intense years of, of kind of a dark feeling. You know, we. You know, more days than not, you'd walk onto the bus and you'd kind of there's that yeah feeling between everybody, and that that's that's that ages you quick, and and that I was relieved to be away from that. Um, but overall, I felt it was a mistake, and um, you know, I, I certainly financially it was a mistake, uh, but um, career-wise, it was a mistake. I, I think. Um, you know, maybe, maybe had we not done that, maybe we would have burned out in a different way that would not have given us life later on down the line. So, so that could be one positive of us breaking up then. Um, and it certainly had, it certainly gave me an opportunity where I had to deal with my personal demons and addictions. Um, so that was good about breaking up, but overall I was not happy about it. Fair enough. And um, after the split, you continued to make music. Your, your band War and Peace released a number of albums. You did session work with many other various groups and things like that. But just one other person I want to touch on, and a legend, there's no better word for it, Ronnie James Dio. Now, you joined him in the 90s in the band Dio and recorded a couple of albums and toured with them. I mean, what's your personal thoughts on, on Ronnie, the man? I mean, what was he like as a person and someone to work with? Well, uh, the best. Um, Ronnie was... Ronnie was a really, really great friend. I mean, he was, we were actually friends before we ever worked together. So when we did work together, it was just fabulous. There was, you know, he was, he was a very respectful person. Um, He knew what he wanted, but he loved to let everybody contribute towards that. Um, And he, uh, he really wanted to be in a great band, even though he was the leader, he wanted it to feel like a band and it really did. Um, So working with him, writing with him, you know, rehearsing with him, everything was just great because he was he was a man at the top of his game uh, who, you know, he, he was he was very impressive. He knew everything when you were, went on the road with him. He knew everything. He knew where the rigging points were. He knew what the lighting guy was doing at all times. He knew exactly what the sound guy, you know, he was really in command of the tour. And that was a great thing to watch and learn from. 
Uh, it certainly served me in later years, you know, as musical director for Foreigner and things like that. I, there's, there's a lot of things I learned from that that I've carried with me. Um, but, you know, the, at the end of the day, he was just a fabulous human being. Heart of gold, um, funny as hell. Um, he'd give you the shirt off his back. He really would. I mean, he was that kind of guy. Um, and what a musician. <laughs> you know, um, so great friend, great person, great musician. Um, you know, the, I don't even have to comment on his voice. We all know about that. Um, but what a what an amazing human being. Absolutely, indeed. And then um, you, you obviously worked with him as well, didn't you, in 2004 on his last album, Master of the Moon? Yes, that's right. That's right. I did. And yeah, I was fortunate enough to be on what would end up being his final studio record. Um yeah, that was that was a great experience. That was a really great experience. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was we you know we recorded at Total Access Studios where he had done the last few records with Win Davis, who we all adore, uh, Vinny, Trace, um, Vinny, uh, Craig Goldie. It was it was just a great group of people. Um, Simon, it was it was great. Actually, Vinny wasn't there. Sorry, it was Simon. Um, but uh, it was just a great 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 gathering of people and. Um, I'll have fond memories of that forever. I'm sure you will. And uh, around that time, 2004, is the, is the time that you joined Foreigner, another incredible group. I mean, you've been with them ever since. How did that one come about? Uh, well, I had done a movie. Uh, I filmed a movie in the year 2000 called Rockstar. And with me in the movie was a guy by the name of Jason Bonham, you know, son of John, yep. John Bonham, legend, legendary Zeppelin drummer, etc. And, you know, Jason and I hit it off well in uh in uh, the movie and both musically and personally so in 2004 he started working with mick jones and i think he's the one that kind of convinced mick that he should revamp foreigner and when he did uh they called me up to see if i wanted to come down so i came down and we played the chemistry was instant and i've been here ever since phenomenal <laughs> and now you can't say no to this but were you a fan of of the band before you joined now obviously the groups that you're associated with uh, are on the, the heavier sound, aren't you? So were you a fan of Foreigner before you got the call? I was a huge fan. And, and you know what I think, but like a lot of fans, I was disappointed in the later Foreigner work where they got light and very, very keyboard dominant. You know, that, that stuff bugged me, you know, so I, I'm not afraid to say that I wasn't a fan of how some of their later records sounded. So, but I loved the earlier records. And I thought, I thought they had kind of a raw deal in that, they got lumped in as being kind of a ballad band when there's all these great rock songs, Double Vision, Hot yeah. Blood, it feels like the first time. I was a huge fan of the earlier work. So it was great when we got back together that Mick wanted to be, you know, an aggressive, heavy live band. And, you know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was very, very pleased with how everything moved once once we got the band going. And with Kelly, uh, lead vocalist uh, with the band, it kind of gave the, the group a whole lift again, didn't it? It absolutely did. And yeah, you know, we're still feeling the results of it. So it's pretty cool. Absolutely. And uh, you guys have been working on new music together as well. Perhaps not an album, but we're likely to hear some tracks at some point. That, that's right. Um, we are we are working on new tracks. And as you know, we'll, we'll see what happens to it and how it comes out. But um, but yeah, right now, the uh, the plan is to just continue working on the music. You know, we don't have a timeline. Mm -hmm. which is kind of nice in some ways, although sometimes timelines give you a definite, um, you know, goal. But uh, 
But right now it's just about making great music and working on great music and seeing, you know, how much of it we can come up with. Absolutely. You talk about making great music there. The the Ender Machine, it's another group that you're working with. The album just come out, George Lynch from Dokken, who we've spoken about. Uh, originally Mick Brown from Dokken as well, but he's since retired. He's he's passed his sticks to his younger brother, hasn't he? And uh, Robert Mason as well, who's been in Warrant. So... Yeah, the first album came out a couple of years ago. You've just released the second album, yes, Phase we have. Two, haven't you? Yes, we have, and and um, gotta say the reaction has been phenomenal. I'm very, very happy with how people have been responding to it, and it was really fun to make that record. We're, we're, I'm very, very excited, and uh, it's very inspired by the world that we're living in now, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of what we discuss on the record is trying to bring the divide, trying to bridge the divide that's existing in this world right now. Cause, cause I personally feel, and I think all of us feel regardless of where we come from, that that divide is the problem and that we need to get, get over that if we want to get through the next phase of human existence. <laughs> <laughs> Easier said than done, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I know. As I was saying, it was like, Wow, I'm throwing all this out here like it's just, <laughs> here you go, <laughs> buy the machine record and all the problems of the world will be solved. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's your marketing, sorted. There we go, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, um, when you came to recording this then, I mean, was it something new? Were you passing tracks? Were you working by like, like we are now over Zoom? Was it a kind of uh, experience like that? Well, we uh, the music was originally done uh, George and I did the music and we did all, we did work remotely, which um, George actually just lives down the street, but, but because, <laughs> of the, because of COVID we were, we were very concerned. So um, we set up remotely. Now there is a, there's a program now that allowed me to control George's studio from my studio. Okay. So we would talk on Skype to communicate and you're like, oh, try this and blah, like that. And then I'd record, um, I'd record him like I was there recording him. Uh, only it was going, then I would get, transfer the files to my studio and, and fix it up from there. But, um, but anyway, um, so it was, the music was all written remotely, which was interesting. Um, and then what we did was uh, we really wanted to focus on the choruses and the hooks on this record. Um, so Robert and George and I then met in several Zoom sessions to start kind of, uh, charting out how we wanted the, the choruses to be. And then, you know, we started, we wrote a lot of the choruses together um, just to get a sense of where all the songs were. Then Robert did a lot of the lyrics on his own. Um, and it really, it really worked well. We were really quite happy. So George's tracks were all recorded remotely, but George, I mean, I'm sorry, but Robert and Steve both came here to record because things had kind of cooled down by then a little bit. Absolutely. And um, another group that you're working with, I mean, you've got these groups all over the place, haven't you? Black Swan. Um, there's talk of uh, new music. You've, you've, you've been working with Reb just recently, haven't you? That's what I'm working on right now. Um, yeah, we uh, Reb, Reb just left, what, last week? I think so. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but Reb just left, and he finished all his tracks. He's all done with... We wrote 11 tunes. He did all his parts. It came out amazing. Um, and uh, Robin's finished five vocals so far. So uh, six more to go. And then we have an acoustic um, bonus track that we're going to work on. Um, so yeah, progress on Black Swan is coming along brilliantly. And I am so excited about the, the music. It's really going to be a strong record. I mean, a real strong record. 
real strong record. So good. I'm excited. The first one was really strong as well, and that was well received. So really looking forward to hear what the second album is yeah. going to be like. It's, it's hard to say now, but yeah, me, um, me too. any ideas on when we could be hearing it? It is hard to say, but I would guess probably spring of 22, I would guess, that's if good. I had that's to guess. Good. So you're obviously a very busy man. I mean, putting your producer's hat on, I mean, is that something you enjoy about this that side of music now, like producing all the records and that side of things? Yeah, I love producing. I, I mean, and I'm, I'm really fortunate. I get to work with some really great people. I mean, you know, I mean, George, <laughs> you know, Rebeach. Um, you know, I, I get to work with amazing people. I've gotten to work with, you know, Mickey Thomas and Kelly Hansen and Robert Mason and Robin McCauley and all these fabulous singers. I mean, I, yeah, I'm very, very fortunate. I love, I love what I get to do. Um, you know, it's, I mean, I would, I, I would love to be a producer full time. Uh, it doesn't quite, it isn't quite the same as it was 30 years ago. Um, <laughs> But uh, I can see myself being a full-time producer and, and, and songwriter. I love to, to write, too. So um, it, is, it is absolutely my passion. Good stuff. Now, with uh, lockdown easing and, and all that sort of stuff, normality slowly coming back, have, have you got any dates in the, in the diary for tours or anything like that with, with any of your projects? Well, yeah, Foreigner, um, we've already done four shows uh, last month. And um, I'm going to be leaving in a week and a half and we're doing eight more shows um, in the American Midwest, Midwest. Uh, then starting at the end of July, we go full, full tilt until the end of November. So, so yeah, I'm hitting the roast. That's why I'm, that's why I'm working on Black Swan real hard right now, because I'd like to <laughs> at least get Robin's stuff finished before the July, the end of July when, when we do this long run. So yeah, I'm hitting the road soon. <laughs> And what's it like being back then? You've said you've done four dates already. What's it like playing in front of an audience again after so long? It's it's great. It's actually, it's so great. I mean, you can tell people are just really excited to hear music again. Um, and it just, it feels right. What else can I say? It just feels right. But finally, I mean, that's what, you know, rock music is meant to be played live for an audience and for people to share and that whole synergy of energy that happens, um, you know, been missing that so it's great to have that back um and it's great to feel that again and you know i'm i'm very fortunate because foreigner is a great band you know we do have this amazing front man and the band are all great and everybody listens and and the organization is wonderful so um yeah feels good to be back live music back and I've got to ask as well, I mean, we touched on Dokken at the start there. I mean, Don's working on his stuff at the moment. Is there any plans for any kind of Dokken reunion again? Not yet. Uh, not at this point. I, I don't know if there will be or not. Um, you know, we all get along now well enough to talk. And, and you know, we, we actually have some business to deal with, you know, concerning our legacy. So, um, you know, it's it wouldn't it wouldn't be because we don't get along that we wouldn't tour. It would be because of scheduling and and just everything else. Um, but I know that, you know, we all I think we all at least at least George and Don and I feel like we have one big record left in, in us. So maybe we'll see. Well, we'll just have to see. No, no, no concrete plans. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Jeff. And uh, we wish you all the best well, thank with, you. with everything that you've got coming up, because obviously you are a ridiculously busy man. So yeah, continue to be healthy and, and keep making some great music. Well, well, thank you so much, man. You're a fabulous interviewer. It was, it was a pleasure. 
the wonderful Jeff Pilson there, as busy as you can get in the music world. As you heard, he just released an album with The End Machine, which is well worth checking out. Features lead guitarist George Lynch of Dokken and singer Robert Mason, formerly of Warrant as well. He's working on another new Black Swan album with Reb Beach, formerly of Whitesnake and Winger, and going out on the road and hopefully recording new music with Foreigner 2. And all that with his producer's hat on as well. Incredible. A quick shout out about future episodes then. I've got some incredible guests lined up for the coming weeks, including a guitarist and singer with a band that's literally sold 40 million plus albums. Grammy Awards coming out of his ears has worked with the best, including three of the Beatles performed on all the tracks on the Thriller album and so much more. Honestly, it's a great interview. Plus, I've got another rock and roll Hall of Famer who played the legendary Woodstock Festival in 69 too. So make sure to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on. Right now. But at this stage of the show, I give you a rundown of my favourite five songs from the band of today's guest. And with Jeff, that's a lot of bands to choose from. So without trying to give away too much about another interview that I've got lined up for a couple of months' time, it's not going to be docking for today. Okay. It was a throw up between Dio and Foreigner, but I've already done Rainbow, which featured Dio's vocals heavily. So on this occasion, I'm going to go for Foreigner. So here you go, is my favourite five Foreigner songs according to Vintage Rock Pod. At five is the second single from their second album of the same name, released in 1978. Its punchy guitar and crunching roll sets it off nicely before the melodic sing-along chorus. And number five is Double Vision. Number four is a track from the brilliant album Called For, the album's lead single, this time from 1981. It's got a pulsing feel to it, macho, with a great sax solo as well. And number four is Urgent. My number three is from the Double Vision album again, lead single this time. It's got a strong hard rock feel to it with definite shades of bad company, if you ask me. And number three is Hot Blooded. And number two is another from the 1981 album Four. This rocks as hard as any foreigner song with a great story of a kid destined to be a rock star. It builds and explodes throughout and is basically a brilliant song. And number two is Jukebox Hero. And at number one is The Ultimate Ballad. It was number one on both sides of the Atlantic and many other countries too. Multi-million selling single, Lou Graham's finest vocal performance. Story goes, it reduced legendary record exec Arma Erdogan to tears the first time he heard it. It features the New Jersey Mass Choir. It's brooding, it's moody, it's heartfelt and has been sung many a time on a drunken karaoke night. From the Agent Provocateur album from 1984, the number one foreigner song according to Vintage Rock Pod is I Want to Know What Love Is. So there you go, my favourite five songs from Foreigner. And I know I've left out some huge ones. Cold as Ice, Feels Like the First Time, Waiting for a Girl Like You, Dirty White Boy, That Was Yesterday, and many, many more as well. As ever, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this list. Where do you agree? Where do you disagree? Drop me an email, vintagerockpod at gmail.com or message me on the socials. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube and give us a like or a follow on there as well. And you can join the ever-growing list of VRP VIP who signed up for a once-weekly newsletter to make sure they don't miss out on any of the latest news and scoops from the Vintage Rock Pod world. All you got to do is go to my website, vintagerockpod.com, and fill in the form on that first page there. Dead easy. Well, that's it for this week's main show then. As I said earlier, I've got some great big-name guests for you coming up with some incredible classic rock stories to tell. So please don't miss them. Subscribe on all the usual platforms. Until the next episode then, remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock, just tell them, my music is better than yours. Take care.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.